Welcome to Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series on the hospitality tabletop industry. Now, here's your host, Dave Turner. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our Seat Yourself podcast. I'm Dave Turner, and I'm your host here at Seat Yourself. And Seat Yourself by Now You Know is our weekly podcast that covers the news, the items of interest, and all kinds of other associated things, all with the relevancy to the food service and hospitality industry, both here and around the globe. By the way, this is episode number 112 of Seat Yourself, and it's published the week of April 5th, 2021. And today's episode is coming to you from beautiful Studio B in the Tabletop Journal Studios right here in Baltimore on the East Coast of America. Now, in today's episode, we're going to welcome back an old friend, Jay Alley, to the show. And Jay, as many of you know, is one of our co-hosts, along with Greg Kirish on our other podcast, Every Other Thursday. I realize that many of you know Jay, and you may, you may think you know him pretty well, but you may not be all fully aware of all the experiences he's got in selling and marketing of high-end and top-quality products of all types, not just tabletop products, and especially not just glassware. So with that, uh, in addition to getting his take on every other Thursday, our other podcast, and along with his take on this current state of affairs within the food service and hospitality industry, I thought it'd be great to have Jay talk about his background and his career and experiences. After all, you don't become a living legend in our industry overnight without having a few stories. And of course, if anybody knows Jay out there, you know with Jay Alley, there's never a shortage of stories about his career. So with all that, let's get Jay in here and let's get this episode of Seat Yourself. Let's get it started. Jay, it's great having you on Seat Yourself. It's a little bit different, I have to say, than every other Thursday, but I really appreciate you coming on and uh, it's going to be a little different vibe without our friend Greggy, but that's okay. Great to have you. Yeah, it seems like you're missing one of your body parts. Looks like an old sock. Yeah, like an old sock. Nothing more complimentary than to call somebody an old sock. Don't bring it, call them an old sock. There you go. There you go. I'm sure you'll hear it. Before we get started, you know, it's so easy to assume that everybody knows who the heck Jay Alley is. But, you know, we've met a lot of listeners in a lot of different places, and I bet everybody would be shocked to hear different things that are in your background, your career background. Uh, I know uh, you've taken me back a bunch of different times. So why don't you quickly give our uh, Seat Yourself listeners a quick snapshot of who Jay Alley is. And you weren't always the Stozel Glass guru, were you? Hard to believe. Not always. No. Not always. Not, not always. It's, it's been uh, not even a glass guru. You you did a lot. There's a lot more to Jay Alley than just glassware, uh, bon vivant, and all that, right? Yeah. Well, it's been a long road. I mean, I'm not a young guy anymore, so it's it's kind of you know it's an interesting story, I guess. It, I started out as I think I told you a long time ago. I, I got my sales training and background from what I like to tell people: a place where you get a PhD in sales. And everybody says, "Well, where the heck could you possibly get a PhD in sales? I've never heard of that." And I go, "Well, there's only one place. That's probably why you haven't heard of it, and it's called Sears Roebuck." There you go. <laughs> Back then, it was interesting when I first joined Sears. They were just getting out of the, the big tickets side of the thing, which is guys that have been there 30, 40 years. There was a guy in a sock department, shoe department. It was a multimillionaire from all the Sears stock splits. I don't think he ever made more than 15,000 in his, his career at Sears. But anyway, so that was the, where I started. And from there, it was really, you know, you like to think about your life and that it was all planned well. And, and mine probably was the least planned. Uh, you know, I married my wife, my childhood sweetheart in 1968. 
And uh, she went to work for Gorham Silver uh, in Providence, which at the time I didn't realize. I know now. I mean, it means almost more to me now because I didn't realize back then it was a $175 million company in, in you know, 60s dollars selling sterling silver flatware, giftware, china and crystal. Anyway, what happened was I, I got introduced to some people at Sears because we went on a trip to New York to a, an organization called Best Dressed Tables, which Sandy had to go because her boss was the uh, the advertising director and handled millions of dollars of advertising. Anyway, so now, now Sandy Sandy's with Gorham. Sandy's and you're with, still with Sears. Yeah, Sandy went to okay. work for Gorham. Came out of Catherine Gibbs, and then I was working at Sears. This is right after we were married. And so anyway, we went to New York at the Waldorf, and they had this big best dressed tables thing. And I just got to meet some people, and yeah, you know, I didn't really have much to do, so I, I started helping all of these people that were setting up these tables. And what that event was, it was very, very unique. It was, it was known all around the country. I mean, it was pretty important. They would have tabletop settings, which you know, interestingly falls right into into what we talk about all the time. But it was on the retail side, and so like Ross Simons in Rhode Island would set up a table, and they would have Gorham China. And, the tables could, it had to have one product from Gorham. So usually it was either flatware or crystal or China. Most of the time it was, it was the flatware. Then they had some that were all Gorham and they were judged in another category where it was all Gorham products on the table. And so you'd set the table up. People had picnic themes and formal dining themes and all of this stuff. And then the judges from Southern Living and places like that, the editors from Southern Living would come in and do all the judging and eventually pick the winners. Well, what happened was when they were setting up these tables, I mean, some of the people doing the designs would freak out if their table was a half inch taller than it should be because then the table cloth wasn't right in their minds. So what happened to me is I wound up helping them. You're just a guest just at a this guest. event, just a guest, and, and you just jump in and start helping. Of yeah, course you do. And, and down, a lot of people may not know, but down below the Waldorf, there's literally a, a manufacturing community down there that can repair about anything that they have, furniture, way back then, you know, furniture, all kinds of stuff. So I'm running around and getting people to cut table legs a little shorter or a little longer. Anyway, long story short is when it was done, I got a thank you note from her boss and can't totally remember, but I think he said, Nick, we ought to get together because he was, you know, he was really, we were really close with him and his family, even though Sandy worked for him. So I went out to his house and he said, you know, what are you going to kind of do with your life? I said, I don't know. I'm working at Sears. I, I really enjoy it and making decent money for that kind of a job way back when. And he says, well, you know what? He said, why don't you put a suit on and come on down to Gorham next week and uh, we'll sit and have a chat. So long story short is I did that and they offered me a job and a training career down in Johnson City, Tennessee. It was, I was like the ridge runner. You'd go all the way from Chattanooga up to Roanoke. And that's where they sent all of the trainees. Well, what you don't realize is the reason it was a training territory is if you couldn't sell Gorham Silver in the South, you probably shouldn't get in the selling game because you did. Oh, you had to show up. I mean, every Southern bride on the planet had a set of Chantilly. That was just the way it worked. So anyway, it, and it just went on from there. I, I progressed up through the company and was promoted to a regional managership in Minneapolis where I was hand, handling Dayton Hudson Jewelers and all of that good stuff. And just a bunch of good stuff happened. And uh, obviously, a lot of us who worked for Gorham would probably still be there if they weren't driven out of business by really poor management. From okay, now now you're in sales for Gorham. Well, let's go back just for a second to Sears. How many years did you spend on the floor at Sears selling? Seven years. Seven years. Seven. Okay, now, okay, so seven years. And you're, you're at Sears, and now all of a sudden you're 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 going on the road with with Gorman. You were with Gorman about how long? Eleven. Eleven years. Okay. Yeah. So you you got you got you definitely got your PhD between those two places. Yeah, and I went from there to a company called Ebling and Roos, which was the uh, exclusive distributor of Hummel figurines in the country, which was a oh yeah a great promotion. And unfortunately, a year and a half after I was there, the company lost the distribution of the Hummel brand. And uh, they put them out of business. So 
that was that. From there, I got to uh, come down to uh, York, Pennsylvania to, to work for uh, Louis Appel's company, Falsecraft China. And I was the premium sales manager, you know, basically doing all kinds of things with the promotional organizations using their products. Like one of our big ones, we used to put Betty Crocker cookbooks in a two or three or four quart baker, and it would be sold as a unit. And the book was, you know, you buy the baker, you get the book for free. So that's kind of what the premium business was all about. And then from there, I went to Hanover Shoe and spent another, it seems like 11 years is the number. I went to Hanover Shoe, stayed there for for 11 years. And actually, it's really interesting because it was- Were you selling of, shoes? So, well, I was running their premium division. So we had we had the ability to get all kinds of stuff. The shoes that Hanover made, mm-hmm. steel toe shoes. We were one of the few companies at Nike in the beginning ever allowed to use their shoes in a promotional aspect. And the reason they did that is Hanover at the time had about 150 shoe stores. And we were the first guys to put Nike on the shelves in those stores. That was a great run. I mean, we used to do things like we would do a couple million dollars a year with Fram Auto Filters, Bendix Brakes, and Autolite Spark Plugs up in Rhode Island. And people go, how did, how, did, how did you sell shoes to those guys? Well, what we would do is we'd put a redemption program together. We had a catalog that had L.A. Gear, Nike, Bostonian Gulf Shoes, all kinds of stuff. And so you, what used to happen is Fram or Allied Aftermarket would give this catalog out and say, if you hit your, these sales goals, you can use this product to give to your people in, in the DCs and all that stuff. And one of the little elements was if, if you were a forklift driver and didn't crash the forklift because they had a safety program going, you've got some of these certificates, then you just take the catalog and go through and pick out all these free shoes. And we ship them right to your house. And it was a $2 million program every 14 months. And how long were you with Hanover, you said? Hanover, 11 years. Another 11 years then? Yeah, it was, it was owned by Clark Shoes. And then one day, which was really sad, a guy that was hired from Johnson & Murphy, I can't even remember his name, came in and decided that anything that wasn't directly affiliated with the retail stores, should it was a distraction. And in less than two months, they closed the special markets division down, which was like a $14 million division. Huh. And it was, it was gone. So and, you had uh, to reinvent yourself again? Right after my heart attack. <laughs> Only kidding, because I really love it. I mean, being a shoe dog was kind of fun. But the, the really important thing there was is a guy named Jimmy Burkhart and myself collaborated to develop the second non-slip safety shoe for the hospitality industry. And it was mm. called Skid Busters. It's too long a story to tell how it happened, but the, the reason we did it is we met some people from uh, from Wendy's who were walking by our booth, and we had all of these programs up on display that we did and how you use our products for incentives. They just came in. They were looking around. They said, how do you get these shoes to the people? And I go, well, we sent them one pair at a time through the mail. You go, really? You can do that? I said, yeah, really. And I said, you know, what, 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 how, how does this interest you? And he said, well, he said, you know, he said, if you could do that, we might be interested in talking about it an idea that we've gotten. I'm like, oh, I said, one of the things I notice is when you go in and get a hamburger, this is when you were always going in and get a hamburger. There was no, there was no, not as much takeout or drive through. I don't think there were even drive through windows. Most of the kids working in those stores, you'd look over the counter and look down at their feet and the shoes would be falling apart because the environment in restaurants is very tough. So, and they weren't going to wear their $70, $80 Nikes to work. So we had a pair of shoes that was called a Sportex shoe. It was a knockoff of a, of a, of a walking shoe, and a, a very popular style walking shoe. And I said, well, you know, we could, I said, if that's what you're thinking, I said, we could, we could ship these things one pair at a time, no worries. So he said, well, that's okay. That would work. But he says, what we're really looking for is a safety product. 
And I said, oh, we have steel toes, but I don't think you'd need those. He starts laughing. He goes, no, we don't really need steel toes. But he said, the biggest problem we've got in our loss prevention department and in our industry, like McDonald's and yep. Kentucky Fried Chicken Pizza, two of the tough ones because so much stuff coming out of the fry baskets and all that. The floors are like glass. He said, we have a huge problem with slips and falls. And he says, we're trying to see what we can do about finding or developing a really good non-slip footwear, piece of footwear. And that's and, then, and we did it. We pulled it off. It was called Skid Busters. It became the official shoe of the American Colony Federation. It was in all the colleges wow. and all that stuff. But that was the good news. The problem is, is when they canned the division, that all went away. And to this day, I swear it was it was the best shoe. It was the most expensive because it was all leather. It was Canberra line, but it really, really worked. Anyway, that was it. And so I was out of a job and uh, started looking around. And lo and behold, I, I, I got to Luigi Bormioli. <laughs> They were interested in me because they wanted to start to see if they could sell their glass into the advertising specialty industry. So I didn't, I mean, I, I knew a lot about the ASI business, but I also knew that it was pretty much anything I've ever seen was, you know, pens and very inexpensive stuff. Yeah, yeah, very lower end. Yeah, any glass to, glassware that was around was, you know, very inexpensive, but, you know, I needed a job. So I took the job and I drew it for five, I was with them almost five and a half, six years. And for... All of that time, I drove from York, Pennsylvania, up to Langhorn, PA, three days a week, which is a pretty, it's a two-hour each way. So four hours a day, I was driving. Wow. I got to stay in the Red Roof Inn one, one night, and that eased the trip. <clears throat> so what happened with that was, is it, it, I was killing myself. We wound up doing maybe a half a million dollars in, in the premium and incentive end of it, which really wasn't enough. And so, you know, I knew that wasn't going too well. So a friend of mine owned a really nice their own restaurant over in Lancaster called Hayden Zugs. And that uh, was a real legendary place for a long, long time, unfortunately. But let me just interrupt you for a second. That that step to Luigi, that was your first go round in the glass business per se. And, and but you still, although you were in the food service business in the when selling shoes, you really still weren't in the food service glassware business. Were you? Not in the food service glassware business, but I had a lot of China crystal and flatware business. Yeah, yeah. From yeah. Gore. Matter of fact, I, was, I I love how you you sort of woven yourself in and out of tabletop all through your career. That's that's pretty cool. Well, it just it wasn't intentionally. It just came. I mean, the Gore thing to, the, to this yeah. day i mean Reed owns the knockman factories and i was friendly friendly with the, with the uh, alcova family and the knock uh, the uh, frank family that owned knockman so mm -hmm. anyway so my, my history in glass and tableware was what started all with the gorm thing but anyway i just got a feeling that i that if i we can't find a way to sell more of this glass i got a problem so i i was telling my friend at the restaurant about it he says i've never heard of that company why don't you bring some of that stuff over and show me so i Packed up a little sample box, and the key item at the time for the line was a, a line called Michelangelo, which they still have today. And if you look at it's the green line, yeah, and it, it's it's they've made taller products. And at the time I was with them, they didn't have any of the high performance styles and shapes and heights. And it was a the Michelangelo was the, one of the biggest glasses they had. So anyway, I take it over and show it to them. And Terry Lee is the gentleman's name in all the restaurant. He asked me, so what do you think this would cost me? He said, I love this Burgunder thing, this Michelangelo glass. He said, I could use that as an all purpose glass. So I, I said, I don't know, let me get back to you. So I went back, talked to my boss. I said, what do you think? He said, ah, if they buy them a couple hundred at a time, we could sell it to them for $250, $220, I don't know, something like that. So I went back. We did a test in a restaurant, and he loved the glass. And I used to stop in there once or twice a week just to, to see him and have a drink with him at the bar. And he was telling me how the people were ranting and raving about the product. And so kind of there, the rest is history. We went back. We started a hospitality division. 
created a beautiful 30-foot booth, uh, went to the first show, and the, the response was overwhelming. And, you know, I, I like to think today they're doing really well with, with, with Bauscher and also with Steelite. You know, the Rocco was a little, is a different family. I wasn't affiliated with them. But th- now they're all one company. So yeah. anyway, that, so that, that was my entree really, though, into the— uh, And so you were there for five or six years doing that? I was in there for five and a half. Five and a half. And then, yeah. and then on to Stolzel, but really with Oneida, right? No, not with Oneida. Uh, or Anchor. Sorry. Yeah, the, the, the other side of the story is is that what happened, the reason I didn't stay with Bormioli is I was called in on a July or August date, and my boss, Marcel Trepanier, he, he was a good guy, kind of a retail genius. But he told me, he says, Jace, I'm really disappointed to have to tell you this, but he said, you know, we're not going to need you after the first of the year. And I went, why? We're growing like crazy. I mean, we couldn't keep up. But I think when we gave it away, it was like about $4 bucks in back then dollars. Yep. And he says, well, he says, we're going to hook up with a distribution agreement with Libby and da 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 I think a mistake he made is I said, look, you need somebody to babysit that line. That's not what they do. And I said, I know a little bit about them. And they, they've never done really great with any high-end stuff that they've had. Now, they probably do a lot better with it today. But he said, nah, 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 they're experts. And that was that. Now, the only good news out of that was I had met the people from Stoltzel at a couple of shows because I like to walk the show and just say hi to different people. And they were new there, a guy named Heinz Guger. They weren't in the hospitality business. They were in the retail business, but they showed at a show twice. So each time they showed, I would say hi to them and all of that. Anyway, they they just wanted to, to talk to me and, and, a, and a friend of mine to see if we could consult and try to get them into the food service side. Of course, I said, terrific. So we had a, a consulting contract for about eight, nine months. And then they offered me a job as the sales manager because it, it started to get a lot of attention and that's how I got to, 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 to Stolzel. We were Stolzel USA then. So they, they created His company was called Euromart. They bought the company from the company name down in Charleston. We already had a warehouse. He had a warehouse set up there. And then it all changed to Stolzel USA. And that's when we were freestanding with our own warehouse, and our, you know, our own offices, all of our own customer service and all of that stuff. And uh, just went to work. And then, and then through various iterations, how long have you been with Stolzel? Considering the consulting time, probably 22 years. Wow. For a short time. And, you know, to get back to what you asked, in 2010, we, the same thing happened and we went to Anchor Hawking. Right. And then that, you know, rolled over to Oneida and then now with, with our new partner, Rack. So moving it forward, you know, trying to keep growing the business. And uh, so in sales, your entire career, yeah. the last 25 to 28 years or so in glassware of some form or, uh, specifically, but also with glassware with back going all the way back into Gorham and all that. So you've got 35, 40 years worth of great tabletop experience. In addition to, I love the Hanover shoe stuff. That's great. That I mean, to me, for people who don't know Jay, uh, Jay happens to be one of the, in my opinion anyway, and Jay, uh, I don't say this because you're, you're on the podcast, but I tell, I say it all the time. You're one of the best customer people I've ever met. And by that, I mean, customers enjoy being around you. You listen really well to customers. Uh, you're really unbelievably respectful, but you do a lot of the, what I would call basic sales uh, skills incredibly well. And I love that about you. And I love your passion, your energy, and your creativity. And I see now going back to listening to the Wendy's people tell you about their problem. And then you going back to your shoe company and solving it. That problem solving solutions provider piece of your DNA has been there a long time. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it makes selling, it makes selling your product really easy because you're more of a consultant trying to 
solve a problem for an application. This, that was very exciting. I mean, I really enjoyed the business. It was a lot of fun. And it's very sad, though, because one man killed the special markets end of it. And we we were the second company in the country to have a non-slip product. And CIA used it. I mean, we had colleges mm-hmm. all around the country using it. And then Dave Thomas was our first national contract. Oh, wow. And, yeah. yeah. He was, it, And the buyers there created a uh, special computer program so you could do payroll deduction and all of that stuff. Hmm. So, you know, I, I kind of thought it was growing so fast we had a hard time keeping up with it. When they killed the division, it was sad because I thought I'd I thought I'd live my life there and make a lot of money because the thing was it was on a rocket ride. I still to this day can't understand why they didn't do it. Now there's about I don't know, but between clogs and regular type footwear, there's got to be twelve to fourteen people selling safety shoes yeah. into food service. So it's a big business now. I want to get back to the glassware piece of the business, particularly in food service. So that that's where you you spent a lot of time in the in through your career, uh, at least in the, in the last. 20 or so years. Where do you see the glassware sector just in general right now coming out of COVID? Uh, I know we've talked about it on every other Thursday a little bit, but uh, tell our uh, our Seat Yourself listeners your thoughts on glassware as a category and sort of where it's at right now. I mean, obviously, nobody knows the future, but where do you think glassware stands right now in food service in the uh, American restaurant and uh, hotel business? As always, all all of the tabletop stuff, the flatware, the china, the crystal, I mean, it's it's all critically important, and, and, and I believe it will remain critically important. I think the thing that is happening to us is we're lucky because we're not, you know, we're not in the, I mean, we're in the little bit of, little bit more upper end bracket of the, of the tabletop business in restaurants. I mean, we have now glassware that we can go from banquet use to the finest dining applications. So... Like our reorders now are, are just phenomenal. Uh, people, I think, what happened was is it, with the COVID thing, they just let stocks run down. So now every reorder we get, it's almost like there are a new restaurant reopening. So it's been pretty scary. I mean, it's been scary good. But I think I think the same thing that drove it to this point will remain and become maybe even more important because I think people, you know, a long time ago, thanks to the Riedel folks, I always give them a real debt of gratitude because they educated the world about what a glass can do. Sure to help the performance of the wine. So that, that, that thing's in the, in the rearview mirror. We never even have to worry about talking about that. Why do we need a crystal glass? It's just, it's not a part of the conversation anymore. Just to back up a second, one of the things that struck me so dramatically, and we talk about it on every other Thursday a few times, but I'm not so sure the, the world, the world probably did, but all of us in America are so busy working, eating, trying to have a hobby, whether you play golf or do whatever. But I, I think if you stop to think about it, how the hospitality business supports our mental well health or how, whatever you want to call it, how crucial it, this interaction, the social aspect of yeah. the restaurant and eating. I think people realize now, well, holy mackerel, this is really, really important. So to see this stuff start to open up again is, is, is fantastic. And I think that more than ever, the thing that's happened that, that I see is at every level, restaurants have upped their game, take out quality food that, that are, the restaurants, when you started to at least go in to be able to fine dine, nobody nobody was taking off the good glassware and putting in plastic glassware or stuff of a, of a different lower price point. So that's the good news. I think I think the business going forward, I think it's going to be super healthy. I think that there'll be maybe a few less opportunities, but I'm not even sure of that. I mean, the thing that also struck me as a, a real positive is, because we talked about it on, on, on every other Thursday, we, we were really worried that so many restaurants would go away. And I know a lot of them did, but I don't think as many 
little bit finer independent restaurants did go away. I think those people, if they were well-run, they, they, they were able to weather the storm. So a lot of them are still here. There's hardly any that closed in our little town. And it's not like we got a, you know, a hundred fine dining restaurants. There's, there's a handful, but all of the, all of those guys are still here. Those guys and gals are still here and operating. I think the monies, the uh, the governmental support, and, and some of that has really benefited the hospitality industry in general. And I agree with you. I think that our expectation has been that there would be a lot more restaurants going away permanently. Now, I know it, it it's hard to measure some of the chain business and they close units, et cetera, and all that. But I think you're right. I think the restaurant business right now seems to set up for a, a really strong comeback. And, and even the restaurants that have gone away permanently. Uh, others will fill in that void, I think. I think for the rest of this year, um, you know, the restaurant business is going to be sort of getting itself together a little bit. There'll be some really, there'll be some people stretching their legs, but mostly everybody's just getting back to quote unquote, whatever the new normal, that, that lovely phrase is. But I really think 2022 is going to be a gangbusters year for the food service and hospitality trade. Yeah, so. yep. and I, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier before we got on the podcast about our retail division that was started yep. a, a little bit. Little I'm just going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah, a little bit over a year and a half ago, and the, the really exciting news is, as you and I talk about all the time, and Stolzel for the longest time was known in the world as a as a great manufacturing factory that made good products and stood by those products and designed them specifically for hospitality use. So they were very durable and all of that. Right. What's happened in the last 24 months is absolutely amazing to me. I mean, it's not a shock because it's a great brand, but now we're becoming a consumer brand. So people now know, I mean, there's people that two years ago, well, I never heard of you guys. What do you do? You know, now, now yeah. that's changing and it's changed so fast. It's excitingly scary. So, but, but I think on the retail side of the business, I think, I think what's exciting is when people stay at home because they couldn't go to restaurants. I mean, people that enjoyed fine dining, cooking good food, whether you're in shorts on a Gulf Strip, cooking a great steak on the grill, a lot of people still drinking great wines out of good glassware in the houses. And, and for us, because we're now being discovered as a brand and we'll get more and more visible as every week goes by, I think our business in retail is going to just explode. Now, your colleague over on the retail side is Mark Rowland, right? He's yeah. an experienced tabletop guy, but, a, but all focused on retail pretty much. Yeah. Stolzl is a compassionate company. They like to hire us old dogs to keep us off of the bone pile or whatever. <laughs> a lot of experience going on at that Stolzl. Like 140 years between Mark and me, so yeah. We're going to take a break, Jay, right now, but we're here with the very experienced, the very talented, and the very energetic Jay Alley from Social Glass. Jay, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about your experiences on Every Other Thursday and maybe how you would describe that podcast to some of our Seat Yourself listeners. We had Greg do the same thing a couple of weeks ago, and, I were, and uh, he gave his interpretation. I'll be curious to see yours, so uh, I'll to hear yours. So we'll be right back with more from the talents of Jay Alley. Right back at you. This episode of Seat Yourself is sponsored in part by the Edward Don and Company. Everything but the food for nearly 100 years. And if you have not yet signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, now would be a great time to do so. Go to tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. It's a quick and easy sign up and a great way to stay on top of all the important going-ons in the world of hospitality tabletop. That's tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. 
And we're back, everybody, with Jay Alley from Stozel Glass. He's telling us a little bit about the, his experience in all kinds of industries, been selling and marketing great products for a long time, and in the glass, specifically the glass business, the last 25, 30 years. So that's pretty cool, too. But in this segment, Jay, I, I mentioned before the break, we want to talk about our other podcast, the one that you're a co-host with Greg Kirish and I myself on. Tell everybody, what you, how would you describe our podcast on Every Other Thursday? What's, what's that all about? It's a tremendously informative podcast on a whole bunch of subjects, and some of, of the subjects that we discuss are, are not in my wheelhouse, but it seems like the, the thing gets so engaging that all of a sudden you're in the middle of it and everybody's having a good time talking about all kinds of subjects. I mean, we're all tabletop and hospitality guys, but I mean, I think the guests that we've had on have been unbelievably just smart people and great reputations. And uh, so I, I, I think, not to brag too much on it, but I think that it's going to be viewed as something where people can get a lot of great ideas. It's a lot of fun to listen to. We have a lot of fun doing the podcast. And so, I, I, again, I think this is a, it's a straight-up rocket ride. I'm really proud to be part of it. And, and the people that come on, I mean, I, if some of them hear this, I, I'd just like to thank all of them. I can't remember all their names off the top of my head, but we've had some phenomenal guests. You're exactly right. I totally agree with it. The, the guests that we have have really taken us to a lot of new levels. Any guests in particular stand out over the past uh, year or so that we've been having guests on? Yeah, I mean, we you know we've had Madeline Trafon on, who's a per personal friend oh, of Madeline was awesome. Yeah, and, and you know, so many of the, of the people that Greg is is fond for for the organization have been great. I again can't remember all the names. You can you you can reel them off. I mean, our last one, Steve Delinsky, was a he was a, just absolutely a ton of knowledge and experience and. So many, so many people. I mean, you may want to tell, tell you may want to answer. No, that. I, I think Steve, I think, I think you're right. I think Steve Delinsky can help so many people. I think Steve Delinsky, uh, for those of you who don't know him, Steve Delinsky is probably the food media person from the Midwestern U.S. and had been doing it for a long time and, and trains people how to be media savvy, does a lot of different things. Great guy and very, very talented, obviously. I'll tell you another guy that's gotten a lot of play and it continues to is a kind of a sleeper, Russ Finch, who grows uh, oranges in Nebraska. I know that was fantastic. I mean, that was... But actually, he's in the he's in the business of constructing and selling. I'll call them greenhouses, but they're much more than that. So you can have citrus fruit anywhere. 12 months a year, et cetera, et cetera, for pennies a day. And we get a lot of place still on that. And that, and Russ was on with us, geez, I want to say back in November. So there's still a lot of people listening to those older podcasts. And there's some really great guests. Uh, I think of Bob Golden from Pentelec, I think. But Bob Golden, a market research guy for a million years with Technomic and everything, and just one of the bright, bright guys in our business, understands it, good prognosticator of the future. Nancy Cruz. Yeah, Nancy, Nancy yeah, Cruz. That's, there's yeah. nobody better at menu concepts and Nancy Cruz. She's the best. Reiner Zingraba, uh, all these people on that, guests were phenomenal. Well, Nancy Nancy really impressed all of us and to listen her, to her acts of kindness that she delivered to people who just stepped into her restaurant for a variety of different reasons. I mean, she's, she's a jewel. She's a diamond. Oh, you're, no, no, you're thinking of Elaine Garcia. Oh, Elaine, Elaine Garcia. Sorry. Yeah, 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 Elaine Garcia. When you when you look up hospitality in the dictionary uh, and service to others, I'm sure Eileen's picture is there because she that's just a phenomenal story that she's got going on in her and her two restaurants out there in Chicago. So, yeah, some great guests. What are the kinds of things that you hope uh, every other Thursday brings and brings to the listeners uh, of that podcast in the future, Jay? You have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, the, hopefully we can keep the type of guests that we've had in the past going forward. I mean, I think that the guests make they make the show. I mean, it's fun that we're there and we all have our opinions. But, boy, the, I think that 
that the program has become so much more valuable because of the quality of the guests that come on. They make us all better. I mean, they make it easy for us to, to, to have fun with it. And it'll be fun to see how much, how farther out we branch. Cause some of it, you know, like when I first heard about the greenhouse, I was like, really? <laughs> yeah. You know, greenhouse and oranges, Nebraska. What about that? What's up yeah, with that? It was and, awesome. and it was cool. Yeah, it was awesome. And Russ Finch is no spring chicken, by the way. I know. He's, well, he's, yeah. Well, he was in his early 80s, mid 80s. Maybe he was like in his 50s, but, you know. Yeah, what, what, what I loved about that story is he, he got started in this, this greenhouse type thing, uh, business, after he retired from two or three other careers. So I love people that have a lot of energy. Uh, I love people that are good at reinventing themselves. And just like you, Jay, I, I mean, you've done that many times over. But but I think it's uh, what keeps keeps us all uh, young, if you will. But you also have, uh, uh, like a guy like Russ, he's got so much experience too. And he, and he just takes it as it comes. And he's got a great idea and he doesn't try to oversell it. He's just trying to help people. I mean, it's kind of like, I think you were asking earlier where I think the business is going to go. And I just think that we're lucky to have a lot of loyal customers, companies that buy our products. Like in our mind case, it's glass and somebody else's case, it might be walk-in freezes, whatever it is, but you can't thank the public and the owners and operators of the restaurants enough. I mean, they're keeping, they're keeping this world a, a better place and making people smile. And uh, I'm just glad to be part of it. I mean, I don't, I couldn't think of a better place to be, for the last job I'll probably ever have. So talking about the, the two subjects, the you know the, the industry in general, and, and also our guests that are on uh, from every other Thursday, all of them have that that food service thread running through them in some way or some form. I think uh, what I really love about all the guests is is the optimism they've expressed through one of the most difficult periods that food and beverage, the hospitality industry globally has ever gone through, and every one of our guests have come on have have said yes, it's come back and it's going to be bigger, better and everything than ever before. And that optimism and that energy that they have. And, and these are these are people who are the, the best at what they do. Well, I'm grateful that they would come on and, and uh, express that optimism and that positivity uh, going forward in a very difficult time. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, too, because I mean, I, you, you read a lot about their comments, you know, get to see them. And it seems like I don't think we've had one guest that I, I think maybe a couple of them came on and might have been a little unsure of how it was going to go because they didn't know who we were. But I think when they left, everybody was a fan of everybody else. We, we loved them and they loved us. And we're lucky to be able to do it. You know, I think of a guy like David Kramer, who uh, is instructing uh, the chefs of tomorrow out there in, out in Chicago area. The guy, he, he's really just he, all over the world, recruiting students from all over the world and whatever, and bringing some of the those entry level people right in and really providing the, the what I think of as the foundation of our, of our entire industry is, is those entry level jobs in food service. We've all done them in some form or fashion. And uh, I started out as a not even a dishwasher. I was doing the pots and pans. They didn't even trust me to do the breakable stuff. They said, go over here. You can't break anything. So wash pots and pans. And I did that seven days a week for one summer in, in high school. So anyway, any last thoughts about every other Thursday, Jay? You could talk about it for another two hours. I just We just got to keep it fresh and keep it new and exciting. And we're doing that. Again, the guests are making us just stars. Well, we got to do is bring, I mean, we bring the right people, not the right people. We bring people on sometimes, I guess I didn't know. Like when we talked about the greenhouse thing, I was like, okay. And then it turned out to be one of the most exciting episodes we had. So, I mean, I, I'll tell you what, this has been an exciting thing. I'm really, I can't, you know, I can't tell you how happy I am to be part of it. And, you know, I, we got to give a shout out to Greg. Greg, I like to think of him as our brainiac. I mean, the people he knows and the people he finds to bring on, I mean, he's such a super guy. The thing that's interesting about 
all of it. I mean, all we do is talk about exciting topics and, and it always comes around to everybody, whether it's us or whether it's a, a guest, restaurant operators. I mean, everybody that kind of we're all involved with, there's one theme. Everybody's trying to help somebody. You know, the restaurateurs that come on our show and talk about it, they're, it's all about their guests, what they do for their guests. It's almost never about, well, we need to make more money. We need to do this. It's always about the people coming through their door to sit in their place. We're always talking about how can, you know, how can we make our show better because keeps the, the people that listen to us. We're basically our customers and our, you know, they're our customers. If they're not listening to us, we've got nothing True. going on. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I just hope, I hope we can uh, do this for another 10 years. Hope I'm around to do it for another 10 years. And, and how about the industry in general? Any last thoughts on uh, the food service and hospitality industry for the rest of this year? Pat? I think that, you know, we're going to see changes is always going to be, I think there'll be a little bit more uh, things evolve in it, but I think our segment, the fine dining segment, I think is here to stay. I think it's going to get better. I think the good news is, is, Service is getting better. Food's getting better. Restaurants are cleaner than they've ever been. And I don't think we're ever going to go back in any other direction but going forward with that. So I, I think it's a bright situation to be in. And I think the segment that Stoltzel's in and, and Rack with, with high-end quality porcelains and all of this stuff, I think it's a good spot to be in right now. Yeah, I should mention that uh, you have a distribution partner on the food service side. For those of people who don't know it here in the States, uh, anybody who might be listening offshore, Rack uh, Porcelain is, is the Stozel distribution partner for hospitality over here. So that should be said, too. So, all right. Well, Jay, really appreciate you coming on today. It's great. Well, I tell you, I love traveling down memory lane with you a little bit and hearing all those things. As you remind me of some of the things, and you've told them to me over the years uh, other times, too. But when you remind me of the Hanover Shoe experience of the working for Gorham Silver, and, I, and it wasn't just silver, it was table, uh, it was dinnerware, silver, and crystal as well. But when you remind me of all those things, and then the Sears Roebuck experience and all that, now I know why Jay Alley is who he is today. All those pieces come together. It's been quite a career, and it's not over yet, not by a long shot. So uh, again, thank you for coming on today, Jay, and thanks, thanks for sharing all your, uh, your thoughts and your comments. All right, and God bless everybody out there. Stay healthy. Stay healthy is right. That concludes this week's episode of Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series. For more news, information, and insights on the hospitality tabletop industry, please be sure to check out www.tabletopjournal.com.